I'm Juan. And I'm Ricardo. And this is Plumbadiddle. Your somewhat reliable source of information for most things. John, how you doing today, buddy? I'm doing well, man. I'm glad to be here. It's been a couple weeks since we recorded. And people, just listen out for us. We're getting back on track. We're in a new year. Lots been going on. We're going to try to have a, a bye weekly No, that's twice a week, isn't it? A bi-monthly. You know, I don't know. It's bi-weekly twice a week. It is. So, like, bi-monthly. They say we get paid, like, bi-weekly, but we get paid every other week. So maybe bi-weekly is twice (laughs) a month. I wish we got I think it can mean either one, depending on the the, uh, context. Oh, Lord. I don't know, Keith. I don't know either. I could be wrong, and I'm a weird It's bi-monthly every other month. I guess so. You're right. (laughs) Yeah, it was bi-weekly. I'm sorry. I messed that whole thing up. No, that's fine. So we'll try to do them bi-weekly. All right. What you got, Keith? All right, man. Today we're gonna burp, be talking about, it, about, about a little bloated, a little bloated. Yeah, I bet that burp had some fast, and... like super fast, like hypersonically fast, even maybe Keith. Yeah, man. And uh, that's what we're talking about today. So, like, I just thought John's like this is something that's happening in the world that people need to know about, and you don't really know about it unless you're kind of a geeky, techy person and you've searched up enough things that it pops up on your Google feed, or right? Unless Flumadiddle tells you about it. That's right. So we're talking about hypersonic weapons. Hypersonic weaponry. Keith, what is... Let's start with a word. I'm a word guy. What's hypersonic mean, Keith? Okay, that's above Mach 5. Above Mach 5. Or a a specific thing that happens to the air. What does that do? Yeah, so we've talked about Mach is the speed of sound, right? So I know that sound travels at about, what, 750 feet per second. Yeah. So when you get above that, you're going, what do they call it? Supersonic. Right. Or above sonic. So you got so, subsonic, supersonic. And then you got hypersonic. And so according to one of the things I read is a neat geeky thing. There's a lot of deep physics beyond my realm. But two things happen. Molecular dissociation and ionization. So I, I feel like we got a word for the day. There. I feel like we could put two of them together. You think molecular dissociation. Ionization. There you go, Keith. So that is a physical process that happens. It literally changes the atmosphere, and it changes the way flight happens when you hit this certain speed. And generally, that is thought to be around Mach 5, which is about 3,386 miles per hour, something like that. It's really fast. I don't know. It's 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 fast, fast. man. All right, so there's that. um, So there's two types of hypersonic weapons, right? Right. Hypersonic weapons. What was the first one? Is it cruise missiles. Cru- cruise missiles. So and we've got then, cruise uh, missiles now, like the Tomahawk stuff. We're not going to talk about that so much. Right. That's just a much faster version. So we're going to talk about the newer, cooler technology that they got out there called hypersonic glide vehicles. Yeah. So I'm called it boost glide vehicles yeah. and glide vehicles. So the, Keith, the tell HGVs, me what do you got to say about that? If you will, the HGTV of all weaponry. <laughs> all right. So basically, the technology is different. All right, so the technology, when you get up to speeds that fast, you run into some problems. So what's some different oh, problems, problems you might run into, John? Um, you've got to certainly deal with issues of heat. Absolutely. That's one of the big. That is something you don't think of much, but air actually can create friction. Oh, very much so. I mean, think about the uh, – most people have seen a clip maybe of like the uh, – what do you call it? The, the space shuttle. The space shuttle, Like yeah. entering back into the atmosphere – and when that yeah. happens, it's got those tiles on it, man, and you get to see flames just rolling off of it. So they did have to solve that problem, you know, that it has to be able to travel through 
the air at these speeds without catching on fire. Correct. Or melting Correct. the metal melting. So they had to have the right kind of materials. Another thing is the engine, right? Engine, so, engine number nine. So a ramjet actually has to carry oxygen on board. Okay. And that will uh, mix and for combustion, right? But the, what they created, that's called a ramjet. What they created is a scramjet. Which is a supersonic ramjet. Right. And it's, it's made a whole lot different. Or though. something like Basically that. Basically, it's, it's almost like hollowed out. And so the way it works is instead of carrying oxygen on board, is as the the glide vehicle goes through the air, it collects the oxygen that's passing through it, and that mixes in order to create combustion. All right. So here's something though that's that they had to overcome is that actually it, a scramjet won't work until you're uh, at least supersonic. So. Or maybe it don't work to a hypersonic. I can't remember exactly. Let me look at it here. Yeah, after supersonic. So scramjets only work after already going supersonic. Right. So they have to have something to push it to supersonic speeds first. Which, Keith, is what? An intercontinental ballistic missile. Right. So you like have a, just a standard missile that we already have that normally delivers like a nuclear payload. So you may ask audience why not just use an intercontinental ballistic missile if it can go supersonic and possibly even some of them right can go hypersonic or close yeah to you it. said you found that i, I never found yeah. it but you I, you were reading the article different kind of so rockets can go this fast so what, what's the difference why not just use that why create a glide vehicle that uses a scramjet well, well it's not it, necessarily just speed that is the advantage right john right but if it is going hypersonically that means it's gone way outside the atmosphere, like what, at least low Earth orbit. And it's just basically falling back through the atmosphere at incredible speeds. And that's because an ICBM has a trajectory, right? Yep. It loops it way up. a specific trajectory. Yeah. It looks like a slow-pitch softball. So you the, just toss it up there, it hits, and it's coming back down. Right, exactly. And I had a real hard time hitting slow-pitch softballs. Really? <laughs> well, I played baseball for, like, years, you know, like all the way in, in, into high school baseball. And uh, then I get older, and I'm like, I want to get on the softball team, you know, with the the church league or whatever. I couldn't hit that ball. Couldn't do it, Keith. It's because it had a different trajectory, John, very than much. a baseball. It's very different. And so my mind just couldn't work like that. But anyway, the so it's actually the maneuverability of a glide vehicle that is the advantage. So it comes loose from the missile a lot lower than a payload. 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 That, isn't that, that that's was a, word a drug the in the 70s, wasn't it? No, that was Quaaludes. <laughs> Sorry, that's a different one. That's a uh, screw-up word for the day. That's payload. a screw-up word. <laughs> payload. <laughs> I've been getting my vocabulary mixed up the last yeah, couple of days. I've been, been, I've been enjoying the heck out of it. <laughs> All right. I don't know what's going on, man. I'm tired. I think I'm tired. I need to rest this weekend. <laughs> Except the dead gum squirrels are trying to eat my house down. Oh, goodness. Keith, let me, let me just interject this here. Okay. Um. I'm not going to get all sanctimonious on this episode, but uh, you know I am concerned. We'll talk a little bit about the arms race kind of thing yeah. of this and the weapons of mass destruction kind of thing of it. But we're focusing more on a technological thing. So I'm at heart. Well, a I think very, that's something everybody's concerned with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm at heart definitely a very peaceful type of guy. Mm-hmm. But Keith, you know what? I have declared war on squirrels. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm going on a murderous rampage. So you need like a rampage. mini hypersonic glide vehicle I'm to telling you, take Keith, them squirrels out. I don't take it lightly, and I certainly don't like to get after critters uh, in an unthoughtful fashion. 
but the squirrels have chewed up into my I become attic. A, I'm not saying I'm a pacifist, John, but I have become more of a pacifist as I got older. I think it's like a getting older. More thing. peaceful, more accepting. I guess of so. It's like I used to like get the the what you call a badminton racket out there to them carpenter bees. And now I'm just like, look at them all like, hey, buddy, how you doing? Carpenter bees are sweet. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I used to think those little furry-tailed rats were okay. Yeah. But, Keith, I have declared all-out war on squirrels in my yard. Right. right, I'm a hunter, but I like to eat what I kill. Yeah, I'm not against hunting, man, for people who do that in a fashion. I tried to explain that to my son. I'm not a big hunter, but he talked about it. I said, hey. This is not just for fun and collecting yeah. stuff. And, that's and I know some people do it for sport, and I'm not, you know, I'm not going to go against them well, or I'll whatever. You, and I, I personally don't do that. Like, I've killed deer before, and when I kill them, I'm like, oh, poor deer. You know, I mean, I, I, I don't like just necessarily like to kill deer, but I like to eat them. So, you know. Right. Um, All right, so let's bring it back to hypersonic weaponry. There's no such thing as that for killing squirrels, so I'm going to just get, which, Keith, by the way, at twelve hundred and something feet per second, yeah, a that pellet would burn. That up. pellet is going to be going supersonically oh, yeah. when it hits that squirrel. So it sure is. That's cool. Let's we worked that in there, Keith. Yeah. All right, take it back over, man. So all right, so we killed that rabbit. So let's go on to uh, what we were talking about. Well, so it drops the payload a lot lower than an ICBM right. too, right? So mm-hmm. so boom, once it's off, now it's not just this big blob floating. On a trajectory. What happens then, Keith? It takes off with its scramjet and boom. It's and it up be, and rolling like 27 times the speed of sound or something. Yeah, well, Possibly. yeah, like Mach 27 is what Russia has recently boasted. The Avangard. Right? Yeah. So um, the point of that is not necessarily just the speed, but the maneuverability. Because Maneuver, if you had turn a on a dime, intercontinental, did I say that? intercontinental ballistic missile, ICBM. If you had an ICBM yeah, going ballistic. on a certain trajectory, tra- golly, we're in trouble today, John. <laughs> intergalactic, intergalactic. A certain trajectory, trajectory. You <laughs> would be able to, uh, you'd be able to intercept that, would you not? Well, that's the you'd thing. You'd be able to calculate where it's going to go. You would. You have your ballistic missile defense things, and they yeah. say, "Oh, that's coming down right there, so our thing's going to shoot it down, no problem." But with a glide Here's vehicle. Here's the problem. There ain't no shooting it down no. at this juncture. Yeah, I mean, it can maneuver. It's oh, under that yeah. missile shield, and it's coming to get you. And it can maneuver. So and it's it like, like and it can oh, I'm going to hit it here. Well, it's not there by the time you get there. Right? You know what it makes me think of, Keith? What? I know uh, we all like some uh, Marvel movies. Remember in Guardians of the Galaxy? Remember the arrow that What's-His-Name has? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where he can just go like, Yeah. And that arrow's like, zoom, 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 zoom. Yeah, that's cool. That's it, man. That's like a that's the hypersonic version of an arrow. So Turn um, on a dime. So they also have another option is a dual mode ramjet. It's a ramjet engine and a scramjet engine and switches over after reaching the speed. So that's right. another option, another way they can build this thing. So all right. Anyway, just throw that in there. Throw it but in there uh, so anyway, like you said, it kind of glides along the edge of space. It's maneuverable, so we don't know where, where it's going to go, where it's going to end up. Um, it it so, takes off and it goes, Keith. So let's talk about why hypersonic weapons. We talked about what it is. All right. right. Let's talk about why. Why do the countries want these things? Well, because they are primarily, at this juncture, they're indefensible. Right. There's not much anybody can do about it. So you get back to kind of the whole thing with the first arms race, right? The the nuclear buildup was an idea of mutually assured destruction. Like, 
I've got this many missiles and you've got this many. So if you launch first, mine are going to get there about 30 minutes or less after yours do. Do's and does. And we're just all going to be blown up into a nuclear smithereens. Right. So there's this principle in the art of war, John. I know Sun Tzu. They call it the the Clausewitzian capability. So basically it's reaching a culminating point of victory quickly and decisively. So what that means is basically win without fighting. Right. Like you have such a capability that you don't even really have to fight. You can win before you even have to fight. We see that in movies, right? The guys mm. comes up, bam, they're about to duke it. Before you know, the one guy has already like karate hacked the guy in the yeah. throat and he's on the ground, it's over. Boom, he's right. choking out. Okay, end of story. So like one of my favorite examples is what Indiana Jones when like you know, the the guy's coming up and he's like da, 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 all them swords and everything. Indiana Jones just pulls out his pistol and boom, shoots him. Game over, Keith. Game over, right? That was that was comedy in that movie, but it's funny, but you know, that's that's the principle right there. You win without even having to fight, right? Exactly. So, um obvious reasons is speed and maneuverability. Um, but they have that was the word we were looking in, for earlier, Keith. Indefensibility. Yeah. So speed, maneuverability, indefensibility. Um, but they also there's different goals that each country wants to reach, right? Right. So they have these goals, and it looks like hypersonic weapons or a hypersonic glide vehicle is the means to reach these goals. So, um, what countries, John, is it that are in the race for these things? Primarily, right now, China, Russia, and the U.S. Right. But there's concern, Keith. That's where and also like, Australia France, and Japan has, I, has done some. There you go. There's the concerns that these smaller countries that could get this capability right it might not be nuclear but it could be a strike well the thing is though is these can carry a nuclear payload they can if you have that capability yeah so um which that you know i know the audience probably just took a pause right there like oh wait this changes everything your podcast just changed you're talking about actually not just a weapon being able to go this fast you're talking about nuclear capabilities going this fast well, or even and for those that don't have nuclear stuff, can I read? You got something you're about to say? No, go ahead. Read. Go ahead, read. It. All right. So this is an article from. It's an opinion piece from the New York Times, and he says it gets worse. And he mentions China, India, France, and others developing similar weapons. Right? He said when even a medium-sized power can deliver unstoppable damage on an American, Russian, or Chinese city is a whole new game. Then it talks about crisis management, like what was going on in January 18th of what year was that January tw- January 2018 when you think that maybe a missile has been launched right now all of a sudden okay is it nuclear is it conventional is it this is it that and you Man, don't have much time to figure it out you judge wrong yeah. and you fire this this hypersonic weapon on this place and you realize oh that wasn't what I thought it was right you know hey the guy was really thumping me on the nose and I just got a sledgehammer out after him yeah now it's really on so anyway, it was talking about it really creates the possibility of these intensely volatile situations based on some serious And if you're striking that fast, you don't have as much time to call off the dogs either. You don't at all. Um, yeah, so like, the time that, frame is shorter. So now, know. though, the audience, we've just let you in on why this can be scary, though, because it ain't just a hypersonic glide vehicle it also has the ability to carry a nuclear payload. A nuclear. Isn't that what Bush a nuclear. said? A yeah. nuclear. And so that makes it very scary because now you have a country with nuclear capabilities 
I think one thing that's kind of throughout the Cold War kind of kept um, us at bay is the defense systems, right, John? Right. It's like, yeah, we could launch a nuclear weapon at another country, but it would probably be shot down before it got there. Or if it hit, then theirs are gonna, being launched And at then you. they're going to be shot exactly. at us. That's the mutually assured destruction. Exactly. Bam. Mutually assured destruction. So now, though, with if one country has a hypersonic weapon and the other don't, now this nuclear... You said it earlier, nuclear. 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 Actually, the word is nuclear. Nuclear, yeah. So this nuclear country now can launch a weapon at another country, and it will be A, very fast, and B, indefensible. There you go. So that changes everything. I mean, in my opinion, some people argue on the Internet whether this is a game changer or not, but if, in my opinion, if this thing can carry a nuclear payload like it says it can then this is definitely a game changer well and i'd like to say this this article that i was reading it talked about that he characterizes the usage of such weapons as two gunslingers in a dark room yeah which is a neat image because we love westerns right but what's interesting is i don't know the guy's name and i'm not going to tell you because i don't want to give you can look up the article but this he he has this and it says someone who worked on the counterterrorism or worked on counterterrorism on the national security council staff so this is not some guy who's ignorant of the capabilities and possibilities of such weapons. He says he feels his pulse racing. Oh, with yeah. the pro- with the possibilities of these things if they're not handled correctly, for sure. And so this is why I want to do a podcast on this. It's not because I like, think it's cool that we can kill each other better now. I just think oh, it's absolutely. something that like the audience needs to be aware of what's going on in well, our world. Right? I'm interested in, from my perspective, yeah, I'm definitely not interested in weapons of mass destruction from any perspective, but I am very interested in geopolitics. All right. So let's talk this about... this has uh, great yeah. ramifications for so geopolitical So let's talk a little situation. bit about the geopolitical part of this. America's goal, the, the Pentagon has said their goal is to reach any target in the world in less than an hour. That's a pretty good goal. I mean, I'd say pretty good goal. It's a pretty lofty goal. I know what you're saying. It's a lofty goal. Um, But Russia's goal is not necessarily a uh, combat goal. What they're wanting to portray is to all these countries around them, let's say Ukraine or whoever, right, that's around them, the Baltics. Is that that the one? The Baltics. Baltics. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. They're wanting to now. portray Sorry. the message to them that NATO will not be able to protect you. Right. So that's their ge- geopolitical um, take on this, right? Or aim toward this. Right. Um, so let's just give the audience a, a little bit about like how fast this thing actually is. So like, you take the Pentagon's goal to be able to reach a target, uh, any target in the world, in less than an hour or within an hour. Is that possible? So I, I found some numbers, 3,700 miles in 20 minutes would be Mach 10, okay? So you just got to kind of go from there. And at Mach 20, you're already getting close to being able to achieve that goal. You can go about 22,000 miles at Mach 20. That's fast, Keith. And the world, how? what's the... Circumference of the world. 24,009 miles, Keith, give or take a foot. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> so, yeah, right at 24, 25,000 miles around. And so you're at 22 at Mach 20. The well, circumference, what, Now, what if was you it will, that Keith. Russia boasted that they, theirs could go? Mach 27. So they've done it. I mean, they, they say they, they have completed the Pentagon's goal, America's goal. 
Right. And so, and you, you got to think that, you know, anytime this stuff happens, we've got spies and all that stuff. America's right behind them. China's right behind them. You know, all this information leaks, right? So we're all going to be able to achieve that goal. Nuclear strike in less than an hour that is indefensible. That is but nuts. at least now, that's not the thought of what it's likely to use, Keith. Let's get into some vocabulary. Let's hope not, right? Let's hope it's never used for that. So let's get into vocabulary, Keith. We're talking about some words. Strategic and tactical. All right. All right, so in a very simplified sort of way, let's just put it. The strategic is the what, and the tactical is the how. Okay. All right, so your strategy is this overarching theme or goal of how you're going to achieve something. Okay. Or what your goal or what your goals are to achieve. I want to achieve this. That's here this idea is your strategy. Tactics are basically the steps you're taking within that strategy to make okay. it come to fruition. So, on that avant guard that goes 27 mock or whatever. Right. This is a really good article from uh, somewhere and I won't tell you where. And we're not even going to be like the other people, Keith. We're not putting it on our page, webpage. We're not doing any of that. We're just we're just spouting off, Keith. And if you want to look it up yourself, it's somewhat reliable. <laughs> I know. What's well, Keith? You got to come back to that, right? We don't yeah. have time to do the other stuff. We're having fun, and we really are. We're pretty trustworthy guys. So well, we do look at multiple sources. We look at yeah. multiple sources. I mean, we've looked at everything tonight, from the Economist to Wikipedia to the New York Times to Defense Department, and that's, that's kind of our contractor goal, websites. You know, to yeah, that's kind of our goal on Flumid. It's not to give you an exhaustive, perfect answer. Exactly. But it's like if you were to research this yourself, you would come up with these same conclusions. You would come up with some yeah. similar things. Similar conclusions. So what I like about this, Keith, so I'm just, just going to read this. The work for them, Here's right, my so. concern. All right. It's been proven before. The whole nuclear buildup thing is mutually assured destruction. The point right. is not to use a nuke. Yeah. The point is to say that my nukes are as big as your nukes, so we don't want to use right. nukes. And I think the you know... A lot of times, pacifist talks about let's get rid of all nuclear weapons, but it's just always, in my opinion, once you have something like that, you can't get rid of it. Well, once you're down a certain path, it's hard on a global scale to go back, and that's what the guy in the last article was saying, Keith. There's is idealism that you and just realism. don't yeah. have you to have. Well, we're at a point where a lot of the old arms treaties are breaking down, and you got this new technology coming along, so there are mm-hmm. concerns. But let's just say with that, a vanguard, Keith. Okay, these are called. What did you say when we looked it up? These are considered more tactical weapons. Okay. Right? Isn't that what it said? So they're for a very limited, very specific goal. There is this place in Iran or for China. There is this place in this other country or for Russia. There is this place wherever. And we're going to strike it, period, tactically. Tactically. Okay. Because... Or in the avant guard, I'm just going to read this because it's so good. In other words, avant guard won't come out of nowhere to pave the way for a Russian first strike. If Russia attempted such a strike, the U.S. would have plenty of weapons to retaliate. So that's not the point. And Russian missile defenses could only at best save Moscow. Avant guard simply assures the Russians that they can neutralize American missile defenses leveling the playing field between Washington and Moscow. I like this next paragraph, Keith. However, since the U.S. has no plans to scale up its defenses to threaten Russia's nuclear deterrent, Avantgarde really addresses nothing except Moscow's paranoia. It's an impressive technological achievement, but solves a problem that doesn't actually exist. Hmm. So my thought about the same thing is we're building this stuff up, and what is it accomplishing? Or will it ever accomplish anything? 
will it just be this technological advance that does nothing? Right. Or as the guy in the opinion piece said, he was concerned that it would have very strong tactical possibilities, just like the strike into, what was it, Iraq, where the Iranian general was killed, right. or places like that where countries start doing those kind of things much more frequently mm-hmm. because of the quickness and ability to do so and the concerns about that. So I don't know. Is it a big nothing like this says? Yeah. Or is it a big possibility of a lot of smaller somethings? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess so. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody Clear. knows what I'm talking about out there. Clear as mud. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess what I was thinking when you were saying that, though, John, is it's actually probably more dangerous for some of the smaller countries to get a hold of it than it is the bigger countries. Right. Like, because of what you just said there. Right. Because, exactly. like, you know, it, it's not going to be a huge advantage for Russia to have this if they know the United States can retaliate, you know, with something similar. But what if India starts using it against Pakistan? Right. And they're both nuclear powers. Or yeah. Pakistan starts using it against India. Yeah. Or, I mean, or whatever, you know. Yeah. So, you know, I think the idea of it is certainly scary. I mean, the idea of nuclear weapons is scary by itself. In general. And then you have the idea that defenses are not going to be effective anymore. That makes it scarier. Well, I know this, Keith. If we know nothing, who was the president? Was it Ike? Was it Eisenhower, who was a five-star general and president, who came, coined the term? Now, see, I should know this, Keith, and I'm, I'm a little leery to even <laughs> say it because some, it? Be the military-industrial complex. That's been around for a long time. The military-industrial complex. You know, a lot of the technological advances that we get filter down from Defense Department-related stuff. That's right. For better or worse. And so it was him, I believe, Eisenhower, who warned against the military-industrial complex. So whatever's going to happen, whether they come to nothing, there's at least companies like— Maybe it comes to nothing, but we can travel to Europe in 10 minutes in the future. Or or Raytheon and— Northrop Grumman and those kind of companies at least get incredibly wealthy off the concept anyway. Right. But that was a question that I had next. Is there any, and I don't think we answered this question, but this would be one for some flummodiddlers if you're out there. What are some possible uses of this kind of technology that might filter down to the masses? Right. Is there quick flight, you know, an increase in right. flight from here, I, hey, I can go from here to what was that like really fast like an flight hour. that they had at one time? The Concorde. The Concorde. They they, they uh, don't do that anymore, do they? Well, they shut them down, but now it seems like there was one that started back up. Maybe like some richy rich folks got one back mm-hmm. up and running, or were trying oh, okay. to make it back into something. So maybe this would be like a super advanced Concorde, right? Maybe. Like, man, I'm in Europe, and it's only been forty five minutes. Day. Or what if you could do it where it would only work in a certain geometry, and it was very small. And you could send them around your yard like that arrow and kill all the squirrels in your yard in like <laughs> yeah. five seconds. What if we're going to? I'd be need on board it. for that, Keith. What if we're going to need it when the aliens attack? Oh, the aliens, Keith. Yeah. Now, now, if you start talking about aliens, I might be on board for some hypersonic weapons. There you go. <laughs> now, I don't know. I bet uh, the aliens have hypersonic weapons. <laughs> I bet the aliens are riding to Earth on hypersonic weapons. Probably so. Or what? What was the? What was it called in Star Trek when they went hyper, hyper warp or something? Hyper warp, warp speed. Warp speed. That's like yeah. the speed of light. They have man. warp speed. Yeah, they weren't going Weapons. the speed of sound. They were warping. Yeah. All right. That's warped. 
We're chasing a big rabbit. All right, man. What you think? What do you have? You got anything else to say about hypersonic weaponry, Keith? As we wind down here, I think that's it, man. That's all I got. Well, I think that was all right, Keith. All right. I think you're an excellent podcaster. (laughs) Thank you, man. And uh, I support your political campaign. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Hey, shout out to Ireland. Yeah. We hadn't shouted out Ireland in a while. Hopefully, like we said, we'll get these bi-weekly, every two weeks. Yeah, that's the goal. Well, we meant to have one we're, up this week. There was a little miscommunication. We're at achieving our goals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had some two, miscommunication, two and, and we missed Yeah, last I got one, so one done, okay. but then I forgot to upload it for Keith to do, so I didn't communicate that good. So it's out there, and we're going to start hitting it, because you know what? Flumadiddle is the best podcast. It is the number one podcast in the world. Yeah. It just everybody doesn't know that yet. Yeah. Problem. I mean, we took a survey, and uh, exactly. bo- both people agreed. So. Exactly. <laughs> I'm John. I'm Keith. And you should get a hold of us on Facebook at Do You Flumadiddle, Do You Flumadiddle at gmail.com. And hey, don't forget the widows. Give, give, give. And we got some Flumadiddle premium content. Please come check yeah, it out. Man, that's a deal right there. 20 bucks. $20. You, you support a widow because 100% of proceeds on the, your uh, initial fee goes to the widows. Exactly. You get something in return. You know, exactly. whether if you're local, it'll be a discount card or it'll be a souvenir if you're not local. And. Also, all our great extra content. Keith, you know what I wish we had? You remember those big fat head vinyl posters? <laughs> I wish we had a fat head of Keith and John from yeah. Flamadil. You could put a life-size Keith and John on your wall in I, your man cave. I think that's something people would want, man. I think they want it. There would be a demand for that. There would be sure. a demand. I don't know how many people would demand it, but a few. <laughs> at least about two. At least my wife. <laughs> at least mine. <laughs> Probably right. not. Love She'd y'all. Hey, for, if we got any praying folks out there, Keith, I'd like to tell them to keep a brother's knee. Okay. In mind, because uh, I jacked my knee up pretty good here back a while ago, so yeah. I'd appreciate any prayers, well wishes, and thoughts in that direction. And it's messed and up his speech. He likes says words wrong recently. <laughs> <laughs> All right, y'all. <laughs>